Here's Johnny. I'll be back. Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Groovy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. Tonight, we've got a mini-bop review of the latest documentary from Creator VC Studios, In Search of Tomorrow. Mike, can you put, like, a cool echo effect on tomorrow on my voice? But I like the idea of telling you I will but not mm. actually doing it, and then you looking foolish. <sighs> and then you're going to edit all this out, so I really look like a jackass. Can I, can I just can I give it a shot? In search of tomorrow! Tomorrow, tomorrow! No, it's not good. Anyways, I'm your host, Cody. Joining me tonight are my co-hosts, Mike. Say hello, Mike. I never believed E.T. was real. But that's not a surprise. <laughs> and uh, Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. So, was I the only one who was absolutely floored by not even 15 minutes in boom out of nowhere jesse ventura with crazy hair talking about the future <laughs> i wasn't expecting him to pop up i definitely was not expecting him to pop up did he even talk about predator when he was in there i can't he remember did, he did he did okay remember talking about he several talked a lot things. about the running man too <laughs> of course that would make sense he looks more like a batman villain every time i see him yeah he looks like an elderly craven the hunter he does. That's better casting. <laughs> this is why they gave us an advanced review copy of the movie. So we can talk about Jesse Ventura's hair. <laughs> Folks, um, you're probably familiar with the In Search Of documentary series. Uh, most popular, I think the, the only ones that are out, I think they're doing a video game series and an action series as well. But the only one that's out is uh, In Search Of Darkness 1-2. I believe they're working on three. There's also In Search of the Last Action Hero, which came out a few years back. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. So uh, it's this is in the same vein as that documentary. It's over four hours long, uh, and it's an extensive kind of look at the entire 1980s, uh, sci-fi in this case. So we go through 81, 82, 83. We get different celebrities from the movies of those times, and they touch on some of the biggest properties, some of the more cult hits of that era, and just methodically work through the entire decade. It's a lot of documentary. It's – what is this? Clocks in closer to five hours than closer four, doesn't it? Closer the longest one, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you may need to take a little snooze in between the, the, the pieces here. There is a lot to throw at you. Turns out they made a lot of sci-fi movies in the 80s. And this still yeah, it really scratched the surface. I'm yeah, sure it'll it be like a part two in a, in a year or two. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy seeing how much ground is covered in both In Search of Darknesses, uh, which makes a lot of sense because you think of the 80s like, oh, the horror boom, VHS. Like there was just an infinite amount of horror movies. I really did not appreciate how geared towards sci-fi the 80s were until watching this because like you said mike they were they're only really skimming the surface there's a lot of deep cuts in there but it's kind of 50 50 between cult hits and more mainstream fare and there's so much of it yeah well, i should say when they're between, like empire strikes back and Saturn nine <laughs> yeah and and when we say sci-fi uh, they put in some stuff I wouldn't necessarily jump to say, oh, that's a sci-fi movie, uh, like the Mad Max movies are in there. I typically don't think of those as sci-fi films, although, I was sure, surprised. why not? 
But yeah, those, those I, I, I also I also probably like by the sheer the definition of sci-fi. Like, all right, I, I guess I actually see that these are in a far-flung apocalyptic future. That's technically that's lo-fi sci-fi, I guess. <laughs> what surprised me was to see speculative fiction in there, stuff like Threads and The Day After, which does absolutely count as sci-fi, but always gets left out of the conversation. Yeah. Which is a shame, because as they go into Threads and The Day After changed speculative fiction. That changed what the future looked like for a lot of people. You can definitely see that shift in how like future wars are depicted. And that's always something that's skipped over in accounts of, you know, the history of modern sci-fi. Well, it's surprising to me just because, you know, obviously I, I was born after the 80s, so I'm not always totally aware of the cultural impact of these things. The day what after the they said... What man What's going on with this muscly man? Uh, but the day after, they, that, they said that had like 100 million viewers, which obviously is almost impossible nowadays to get 100 million people to tune into one TV show just because there's so many options out there for entertainment. So just think, a giant chunk of the United States, like as many that would ever watch a Super Bowl, all turned in for this one TV movie about America being nuked and then having to survive after that. Whew, that's got to be it a was, fun water cooler talk the next day. It was watched by the president and affected foreign policy in an era where that wasn't an everyday thing. Of course, like, then they have to follow that up with like Predator or <laughs> Explorers or since they're going by a year, you get a you get a real mix of some heavy downbeat stuff and then they have to move on to, hey, let's talk about Megaforce. This is also fun. Like this all came out in the same fucking year. Right. Well, because they are looking at a decade. You really have to hit so many highs and lows and different moods. Everything's in there. And they do so a many great job too. Of bringing of Wilford Brimley. In... Oh yeah. I can't believe that guy was only fifty in cocoon. Yeah, That's I know, nuts. right? Blows my mind every time I hear that fact. How was he in The Thing and Cocoon the same year? It looks like there's a decade between those performances. <laughs> you got me. Uh, anyways, I was at a, a bar last night, and uh, they always have the TVs on while Bingo's playing. And if I hadn't watched this documentary, I wouldn't have paid attention to the TVs. But someone asked me what the movie was. And I turned around, and there's a man on a flying motorcycle and lasers going off. And I realized... I only know of this film because I watched a documentary last night that spent a lot of time talking about Megaforce. <laughs> you went to a bar that just had Megaforce Dude, what on? The fuck? That's awesome. It's, Can I drink they that? Like, sure, it's bingo night all the time, baby. <laughs> uh, the Ohio Tavern in Madison, Wisconsin. There's my plug. Good for uh, them. Good for them. They followed up with like Ghostbusters 2. It was a, it was a good night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the Scolari brothers. Drinks on me. <laughs> I did have to shout, the Scolari Brothers! <laughs> uh, in the middle of bingo when that scene popped up. I couldn't stop myself. Look you did the, the Lord's work. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that, that just made me think, though, these kind of documentaries, who are they for exactly? Because if you're like a hardcore sci-fi nerd, you probably have seen most of this stuff. And since they can only spend a couple of minutes talking about each picture, you don't necessarily get a lot of new anecdotes. So that, that was my experience watching In Search of Darkness. Like, okay, I've seen a lot of these. I'm not getting too much new stuff. This particular one, I'm less familiar with the sci-fi films and the sci-fi adjacent films of the 1980s. So going through that documentary is great because I got to make a checklist of all sorts of different movies I'd never seen before or only vaguely was aware of. So now I've got to track down a copy of Megaforce because that <laughs> looks delightful from what I saw at the bar. Yeah, that's what's wonderful about these Creator VC documentaries. They... Uh... 
they appeal to an audience that is weirdly kind of underserved, which is the genre fan that's right in the middle. So much is made either for people who are just dipping their toe in a particular field, or it's made for like the super hardcore nerds. Uh, these documentaries, and definitely In Search of Tomorrow, are made for people who have a general knowledge of this stuff and are already nerdy about it, but really want to get a full picture of like the whole net of what the genre is capable of. And and it's the um the sincerity of the wide swath that they that they go for. They they don't just talk about uh in reverence to aliens. They also talk in reverence to Howard the Duck. <laughs> not in like I a, was surprised how much time was spent on Howard the a Duck. Lot of and time they, was spent on Howard. You know, the and they they actually got like casting crew from Howard the Duck. One of those things I just assumed they would never want to talk about again. But no, they were they were game. They were up there talking all about Howard the Duck. They had to feed that actor only M and M's. He broke his face like, so many times. He would have died. Um, <laughs> but it is it. Uh, it's not just celebrating like individual movies and it does get into like, Hey, we like these things, but sometimes we like things that aren't good. And I, I, I love pairing all these different styles and tones together to discuss not just individual films, but the overall feeling and historic moments of a decade in a particular genre. Yeah. And the expertise that was created from that, like it's, it shows what the, what the inspiration was both behind what was there and the inspiration that came from all of these creations. Yeah. The thing I was not expecting that really added a lot of weight to this documentary was the short segment on the challenger explosion, yeah. which yeah. really, really sets the tone for how much darker and cynical sci-fi would come almost immediately following that, which is something I've never really taken into account before. Like there is a hard dividing line between Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and Robocop and and Watchmen <laughs> and just when when the fuck you future first starts taking over sci fi. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a surprise. They went into real world things. Uh also at the start, they really can't not address Star Wars and the impact that had on everything in the decade after. So they, they do have to delve into, briefly, the 70s, just to, to set up the scene for what this whole documentary will be about. And I appreciate that, as big as it already is, they took the time to kind of give that context to everything going around. Yeah, It's one yeah. thing to show the movies, it's another thing to actually kind of explain, okay, these happened 40 years ago, <laughs> let's, let's give you some history in case you're like a 15-year-old who's just learning about all of these films. That's my favorite aspect of what Creator VC has done with these documentaries is all the additional context they give for everything they, they discuss. Like it, they couldn't just talk about 80s horror movies. They also had to go into where, well, where did 80s horror movies come from? They come from the classic movies of the 30s, 40s, and, and particularly the 50s. This when a John Carpenter thing. and a Deborah Hill love each other very much. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm a Deborah Hill production, but um, <laughs> and and eighty sci-fi is a direct result of seventy sci-fi. So you, you, like, they're all in response. And for a while, they were trying to like continue the trend of seventy sci-fi, even if they weren't quite hitting it and, and mixing the eighties flavor in with the more hard 
speculative 70s science fiction. And it's fun having that context in your head along with being told what was going on just in pop culture or historically at the time to then add greater context to why, why did this movie get made? Why did this movie get made? What, you know, even if this movie was not made in direct response to this particular world event, it's still that world event is still going to color this movie in some way. So it lets you think about it differently. And far more so with sci-fi than horror, because uh, horror is often very attuned to what the particular fears of a of a generation are. But horror itself, uh, like in general, like hits you in a far more like visceral, universal sense. Sci-fi is always very much tied to what is going on at that particular moment, whether it's cultural trends or what's just going on in the news, like where technology is at the time. So you really can't have that kind of discussion without uh, just talking about the cultural context. Oh, no. So if all of that doesn't wet your whistle, I have to say they do bring back Nancy Allen to give more <laughs> quotes. Yes. Just get Nancy Allen for all the documentaries. It's it's uh, we went into this I think in in a different episode but man hey, just look up Nancy Ellen all the movies she's been in and be like oh shit this is fantastic like how are we not talking about her all the time all of these amazing movies she is Hollywood uh, I got so excited I ran I, I got so excited after watching this documentary I had to watch RoboCop right away <laughs> it does make you want to watch RoboCop like literally the entire documentary makes you want to watch RoboCop it's weird <laughs> mm -hmm. I just had the music in the back of my head it's like the documentary's going I'm just so excited. He did talk about Basil, uh, Basil Polidorus, which is fantastic. It made me so happy. <laughs> so I always, I always appreciate that. They won't necessarily get Paul Rudd to talk about Mac and Me, but they can get the actual director of Mac and Me, and they can get a lot of the uh, talent you would think is too big to maybe appear in a smaller documentary. So you get a good variety of faces. I don't know how many people are in this thing, but the credits list felt pretty darn chunky. You, you got a lot of different voices to talk and as an improvement over some of the other ones, I think it's a varied number of people. Like, uh, there, there's several people of color this time, more women. Yeah. It feels yeah. like they kind of listened to the critiques that last time is just a lot of, you know, 30 year old white dudes. And I, yeah, I see, appreciate getting some different viewpoints mixed in. Seeing Tim Codshell in general absolutely own this documentary for five hours was delightful. That was fantastic. A lot, yeah, just a lot more historian work, which I liked a lot of. Yeah, so I felt that was a really big step up from uh, In Search of Darkness 2, which I still enjoyed, but I felt they could have they could have mixed things up a little more. So it feels like they did pay attention to uh, what the backers were saying. Uh, so this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but I did oh, not boy. know. I'm sorry, I just I've had this in my head since I watched it. I did not know Deep Roy was Yoda. No, I, not yeah, I blew didn't. My mind. I had no idea. Yeah, that that freaked me out too. That actually is related. I think maybe even a slight spoiler for the documentary. Everyone who's looking for uh, <laughs> Deep Roy lore uh, might just just threw it out there. I just I love I how lost much my Deep Roy is in here. He's in there a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting too. Deep but Roy I'm was never tall. He was too tall to be do to be Yoda, and then had to be Yoda anyway. <laughs> he had to walk on his knees like it was Moulin Rouge, which, which just cracks me up. Too big yeah, for Yoda. Deep Roy through Empire Shade. <laughs> I love how that so means get... Deep Roy is officially too powerful. <laughs> he knows he all the secret of uh, Willy Wonka's factory. Yeah, he can uh, make multiple clones of himself. He's, he's got a lot going on. I, ooh, it's too much power for one man. 
Oh God. Speaking of just a random tidbits that we found in this movie, because while it does cover a lot of ground, uh, that's been well-tread with some of the more well-known movies. Each segment has at least one fact I have never heard before, and something Mike and I were fascinated by was in the production of The Search for Spock, Michael Eisner had to take Senator Nimoy aside and say, you directing this is probably not a good idea. Which, God, Michael Eisner, being the smartest guy in the room, will never cease to amaze me. Michael Euro-Disneyland Eisner. Baby Michael Eisner at that. Just showing up in a Hollywood story like he's fucking Forrest Gump. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg showing up in every 80s Hollywood success story. Either fucking Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Of Hollywood. <laughs> that is, that's one thing I actually uh, do really appreciate too about this. Since they're focused on the eighties, you know, most of the people involved in these things are, are getting up there in years. So it would be very difficult to go back and do something like this for the 1970s. You know, you, you've lost a lot of those directors and writers yeah. by this point. So it's, it's great that they're getting all these interviews while people are still, you know, able to travel, give them, do all this stuff. Uh, it, it gives me hope too that they would start focusing maybe on like the '90s as well, and and get a little more love and attention to that decade. Because I feel like the kind of driving narrative is, you know, the '90s are awful for horror. I can't think of a lot of '90s sci-fi. Everyone really fixates on the '80s. So I would I would love it if they took this format and kind of applied it to more current generations yeah, and classics too. I know they're working on um, near early early stages of a, a '90s horror doc, but. Uh, probably coming after the 80s fantasy one they're doing. But, man, I would love to see, like, 90s, because 90s had a lot of cool sci-fi. Oh, I would love it for them to just do these indefinitely, discover every decade. Get, tell us how to love 2000s horror. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with 2000s horror. I've got, I've got a very nostalgic sweet spot for 2000s horror. Yeah, and I think... So there, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> We all love Valentine. Um, it's true. Valentine <laughs> kicks ass. It's a, it's a fun movie. It, it is. It is. Um, I, I think it's also just cool the way the figures they get to speak in these documentaries. There's both an honesty, but there's like a, a thrill. They they are clearly they clearly have and are, and are just joyous to show for even the dreck that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like I. And, and stuff they never get to talk about. Like, when was the last time Barry Boswick has honestly been... We're just going to keep talking about Megaforce forever. Cause it's <laughs> uh, you know, Megaforce, if you but... didn't bring him up, I was going to bring him up. Because he, he's he's kind of like a star of this thing, right? He's so excited to talk about uh, Megaforce. And he'll recognize that, yeah, it's it's definitely overacting in the movie. But he gets so many compliments on it, and he thinks it's just a fun film. So it's it's very nice to get an uncynical, happy mm-hmm. star in one of these things, and in something that unfortunately has a three point six rating on IMDb, so not <laughs> not really universally loved. But uh, I mean, Barry Bostwick's out there talking about what a good time he had. I would give anything to read the script for Megaforce Two: Deeds, Not Words. That exists. It's in a drawer somewhere. It's going to drive me nuts. That exists. It's sitting, it's sitting next to David Lynch's script for Dune Messiah. <laughs> also, hearing Sean Young talk about Dune was so weird. 
Now, there's a lot of Sean Young in here giving, like, actually, like, really substantial content, which was a pleasant surprise. It's a good mix. And most of the time, too, I, I would say everyone is, is fairly positive about things. They'll maybe address when a film wasn't a success or <laughs> uh, when fans didn't necessarily love it right away. Yeah, they never well, lie in these, which I which I like. Yeah, I it's, my... it's it's frank, but it's not cynical. I, I would say they're looking yeah. at this with a place of love, going, "Well, even if you didn't like it, I still enjoyed making it, or I enjoyed watching it, or I uh, I know my kids loved it." Something along those lines. So it, it does have a very positive feel throughout the whole thing. Yeah, their uh, spotlight on explorers was probably the best example of that, where. They were very frank about Joe Dante's difficulties with that movie and why exactly it fell apart. But they also acknowledged that people discovered that on cable and on VHS, and it became a big part of a lot of people's childhoods, warts and all. You know, they should just get Joe Dante for every documentary. I know he does like his own trailers from hell and all that, but still, I just want to hear that man talk about every movie. He's like my favorite film historian. And apparently Clancy Brown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who will just talk about anything. Clancy Brown is talking about the most random, like, like 80s sci-fi or 80s horror picture that he has no, like, no relation to at all is my new favorite thing. Well, looking like a (laughs) kindly old wizard. (laughs) Just, yeah, you never expect the big mountain man beard he's sporting in these things. (laughs) Yeah, there's something somebody says early in the documentary that really sums up what I love about genre in general, they say none of these, most of the movies they talk about are not perfect. A lot of them are only enjoyable for personal reasons or because there's a thing here and there that's really interesting or really engaging. And it's your love for the genre as a whole that creates a mosaic that creates the whole picture of what's special about this kind of stuff. I feel like this documentary like itself, like really communicates that uh, better than any, uh, better than any kind of like book or like uh, conversation about the genre could like you watch all of these movies in quick succession. You see these little snapshots of what makes each of these projects special in their own way. It really kind of dazzles you with just how vast a spectrum sci-fi is. And this is just sci-fi from a single genre, single decade. Like this uh, documentary is the best love letter for sci-fi films I can imagine. So Jamie gives it three out of nine stars. Yeah, do better, VC. So folks, if you're interested in grabbing a copy of this doc, you can get uh, digital copies. There are actually physical copies available for a limited time as well. Uh, you can go to 80sscifidoc.com. And until March 27th, which we're, I know we're going to be cutting it close. Hopefully this episode comes out in time for you to grab a copy. Uh, you can actually order uh, a whole bundle. Uh, you can get, well, I gotta, I gotta look at it because there's so many things that comes with it. Uh, there is the Blu-ray of the show, the slipcase, a digital copy of the film. Your name goes in the credits. Uh, there's three posters, a soundtrack, and a set of stickers that come with it. If you get the Blu-ray standard pack, uh, they also have a DVD pack, which is pretty much the same thing, only with a DVD. And uh, several levels above that, where if you just happen to have over a thousand bucks, you can become a producer on this thing. But I'm not going to read out all the perks there. Unfortunately, so, they do not have a version of this hosted by Elvira. Uh, not yet. Yes. 
That could be Yet. coming. Those always come later. <laughs> That's the super special edition. Yeah, right now, this is just your last chance to get your name in the credits. We don't know if, uh, if honestly, who else would host like a, an appropriate sci-fi, 80s sci-fi doc? Uh, the ghost of Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Brett Spiner, randomly. Yeah, He's on the fun. Elvira couch. Well, hello there. <laughs> He's dressed like Elvira. Same, same dress. <laughs> Mitch Pileggi did a reboot of In Search of. I, I, I could see that. <laughs> Why not? So, folks, again, if you want a copy of the physical version of the movie, uh, you have to put in your order by the uh, 27th, and these will be shipping out in May. If you want a digital copy of the film, those orders are going to be fulfilled on April 16th. So it's coming up quick here. Uh, move fast if you want in. And you want in. You want in. Box office pulp <laughs> recommends getting in. Mm. <laughs> That's too sexy for this show. This this is run by three nerds. I feel like it's got to be dorky. <laughs> we keep ending sexily lately, and I'm, sexily. I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm really into it. Box office pulp is blossoming. We are sexified. Mike is hot and horny for In Search of Tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Can, p- p- uh, please, anyone, list, anyone making the documentary who listens to this, please put down a poster somewhere. Even, just as a, just please, just put on a poster. Send me the poster. Uh, there's actually a bracket for that. If you pay thirteen thousand uh, dollars, you just get to customize your own slipcase with your own critic comment. Oh, I thought you were going to say they actually send you the poster, but it's printed on a blow-up doll, and then you can make sweet <laughs> love to it. That would really move units. That that would get people up. Uh, man, does the sex bot shape like Johnny Five? I'm sick. <laughs> Uh, this is crazy. They've actually unsent oh, no. the review copy oh, they sent. Oh no! Up. They deleted no. it from my brain. I can't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> to get us away from talking about wanting to fuck Johnny Five, uh, I'm just wondering: could they put in a, a, a backer tier where you can actually pay not to add your name to the credits, but to strike someone else's names from the credit, like a petty <laughs> revenge tier? Ooh, I like that for like three thousand dollars. You can just right. you can screw with Dave. My Just imagine, like, you're, you're, about your uh, contribution. Your buddy's so excited, he's like, I got my name in the credits of this movie. And then you spend four hours watching it, you get to the credits, and you're like, I don't see it, man. And then you just keep going through and rewinding, he can't find, he's freaking out, he calls him up, they're like, yeah, you got fucked, sorry. <laughs> someone someone paid for the rights, man, sorry, you got fucked. Cody, I want legal. you to know that there is no expense too great that would prevent me from doing that to you. <laughs> I was immediately thinking, like, I would, I would totally bumper car Mike right out of the credits. <laughs> Credit wars. So then we both Jay, don't end up Jay, on it. Jamie's the only one who ends on the credits. <laughs> oh, I'm the executive producer now. It's your show, Jamie. You own Box Office Pulp. Congratulations. So, folks, if uh, you're big into documentaries, highly recommended. If you liked this show, you can find more of Box Office Pulp on boxofficepulp.com. We're on Twitter at boxofficepulp. Uh, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Mike, what, we're apparently everywhere. I was fascinated when you said this the other day that we've been listed uh, apparently on multiple different platforms I didn't even know existed. We're, we're on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify. Uh, well, there's lots of different podcast catchers that you can find us on. Uh, there's actually a pretty good list, um, both in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at boxofficepulp.com, but if you want to go to pod.link slash box office pulp. There's a lot of handy dandy little subscription links there uh, which you can very easily find us in your preferred pod catcher. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like we should just chant pod dot link enough times <laughs> till eventually I remember the name of that because I'm going to blank it. It's fun so to say pod dot link. Pod dot link. It's got, yeah, it's got a good pod dot link, pod dot link. You could be an angry mob behind that as a catchphrase. I like it because it sounds like a URL you make up. Like pod <laughs> dot link slash internet dot gov. Slash horny. <laughs> slash horny. All right. <laughs> it's going too far, Mike. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. And like that, he's gone. I'm honestly surprised. Do you think there's going to be like an in search of, I don't know what like the, the horny term they could do for like the sex films, the sex comedies of the 80s? Women would be? in like cages. In- in search of women's in cages is too long. Uh, in search of, in search of body heat. There we go. Yeah, I was going to say in search of moist, but um, I think that <laughs> in turned search of off. moisture. In, in search, search of squeeze play. In search of lube. <laughs> We're technically professional critics. Well, technically, I mean, but not legally. I don't think it's professional when you get paid. We get paid in kudos. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's the amateur. That's. <laughs> The definition of amateur. <laughs> Whatever I, I keeps was. the gun out of our mouths, okay? Oh, that'd be money. If someone wants to pay me to be a professional viewer, oh, baby. I think that's illegal. I, I think for the reviews, probably, that's a shitty way to go about I think it, that's but... called payola, Cody. Uh, and that, that took down Laszlo in the uh, Grand Theft Auto universe. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine with some grift. I, I don't give a shit. I'm not important enough. No one cares what I think. It's okay. They can, I, they can I, just pay I, me. I, you can't pay me to... You can't bribe me to uh, review any sort of media, but saying that, you can buy <laughs> me for any and all products. Um, I, I I will suddenly be the biggest Pepsi fan in the world, and honestly, it's the taste of a new generation. Box Office Pulp recommends that wild cherry flavor. Be a shill. It's just that scene from Wayne's World. <laughs> I, I have no problem with that. I would I would totally sell out. I wish I had the opportunity to sell out because I would prove I have no metal. I, I would be like, yeah, man, give me that cash. Box Office Pulp, brought to you by Smoking. <laughs> Makes you look pretty cool, doesn't it, partner? This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.